Today, we are picking up in the book of Acts, chapter 8, and um, let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much, Lord, that you first loved us. Lord, we thank you for the lives that you touched last week on Easter, and God, we Just pray that you would continue to move and work today. Thank you, Lord, for those who got baptized last service, and we just look forward to celebrating with those who are going to get baptized today. And Lord, as we look at your word now, we pray, God, that you would minister to our hearts, that you would teach us and instruct us by your Holy Spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Well, if you are new to uh, Calvary Vista, we want to welcome you. So glad that you are with us. And um, we started a study in the book of Acts in September of last year. And we've made it as far as to chapter 8. But so that you don't feel like you're walking into the middle of a movie, let me kind of catch you up really quick this morning. We saw after the resurrection that Jesus met with his disciples, and he gave to them what is known as the Great Commission. We see an example of that here in Matthew chapter 28. It'll be on the screen. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. See, baptizing was a part of that, the Great Commission. We're doing that today. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus gives them this commission that they were to take the gospel into all of the world. But before they were to go out, Jesus told his disciples to go into the city of Jerusalem and that they were to wait there to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. In other words, they couldn't go out and fulfill the mission that Jesus had given to them them in their own strength. They needed a supernatural power from God in order to do this. And so we saw that Jesus gave them that instruction in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It'll be on the screen. He says, but you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, get this, in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we saw that outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, where the the church started with a group of 120 that were meeting in an upper room. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. They're empowered with the Holy Spirit. A crowd gathers, Peter preaches, and 3,000 people end up getting saved. And that was the birth of the early church. Well, when we come now to Acts chapter 8, we are three to four years into this journey of the early church, and the church is, is, is about 10,000 people strong at this point, but the problem is, is the church is still only in Jerusalem. The part of the mission that God had given them to go to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, they haven't done that. That is yet to be fulfilled. 
So today we're beginning a three-week series, a series kind of within our series that we're calling Advance, and the idea behind this is we want to look at here in Acts chapter 8, three different examples that we see here of how God moves and leads his people. So today is part one, and the first thing that we're going to see here is one way that God moves and leads his people is by shaking them out of their comfort zones. Doesn't that sound awesome? (laughs) We don't like that, do we? We don't like for the Lord to shake us out of our comfort zones. And I think if we're all honest, we would say that we crave comfort, don't we? I mean, let me give you an example. If you had a choice to spend your day tomorrow digging a ditch or at a spa, how many of you are picking the spa, right? You know, or if you had a choice to spend your day in a dentist chair getting a root canal or something like that, or a day in a beach chair at the beach, how many of you are choosing the beach, right? We're choosing the beach because we crave comfort. So sometimes in order to get us where he wants us to be, God will allow us to become very uncomfortable, it's like when the mother bird pushes his, her chicks out of the nest. Why does she do that? Because she knows it's the only way that they're going to learn how to fly. The nest is comfortable. It's cozy. But they're birds. They're not meant to live in a nest. They're meant to fly. You know, it's been said about the Christian life that the Christian life isn't a parking lot. It's meant to be a launching pad. And God desires that our lives would be used by him. And so sometimes in order to get us where he wants us to go, God will do the same thing the mother bird does. He'll push us out. He'll shake us up. He'll, he'll bring us to a place where he stirs us out of our comfort zones. And that's what we see happening here in Acts chapter 8. It happens with a new wave of persecution that comes upon the church. Notice there in verse 1, that phrase, at that time. Everybody say, at that time. So right there, that gives us the context of Acts chapter 8, because at that time is referring back to what happened in Acts chapter 7, when we saw the death, the stoning of a young man by the name of Stephen. We met Stephen in Acts chapter 6. He was a young man, one of the first deacons in the church that God had his hand upon. We we read there in Acts 6 that, that Stephen was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And God was using him in a radical way, but the religious community there in Israel and there in Jerusalem, they didn't like that. They didn't like the way that God was using this guy. So they came against him and they ended up stoning him to death. In fact, look back at chapter 7, verse 58. It says that as they were stoning him, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee. He was an up-and-coming leader. He was a guy that everybody had their their eye on. He had been trained by the best teacher in Israel, Gamaliel, and he was a guy that that everybody said, God's going to do something with this guy. That was the focus, the mindset of the religious community. And so Saul, he's this Pharisee. He doesn't like what's happening with this guy, Stephen. He doesn't like that these people are following this new leader 
leader, this new rabbi, you know, Jesus, who supposedly he's been risen from the dead. And so notice how chapter 8 starts. It says, now Saul was consenting to his death. What that means is that Saul was in full agreement to the death of Stephen. He was applauding what was taking place. And so then we read, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Pause there and give me your attention. If you like to write in your Bible, I want you to circle that word persecution. Because that word persecution means to systematically organize a program to oppress and harass people. In other words, this wasn't random. This was an organized oppression. But I also want you to notice that Dr. L- the Holy Spirit inspires Dr. Luke, who's writing the book of Acts. He inspires him to say that it wasn't just a, a persecution, but it was a great persecution. The word great there is mega. So it was a mega persecution. And so the idea there is that the heat is being turned up a lot at this point on the church. The dial of opposition that's coming against them was turned up a bunch. It was a mega persecution. But here's something I want you to note about this mega persecution. Every oppression that we've seen so far in the book of Acts that has come against the early church has been led by the religious group in Israel known as the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the more liberal religious group. They were liberal um, religiously as well as politically. And they are the ones who have been coming against the people of God here in the book of Acts. But here in Acts chapter 8, we see a switch begin to happen, a change, because this guy, Saul of Tarsus, he's a Pharisee. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they don't like one another. They didn't get along. But here we see in this mega persecution that these two groups are now coming together. They're joining forces in coming against the, the, the church. And I think that's interesting to note that, that hell has a way of uniting even enemies. And that's what we see that's happening here. These two groups find their common ground in their hatred for Jesus and their hatred for the gospel. So Saul of Tarsus is leading the charge, and we read in verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc, everybody say havoc, of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Now that word havoc is an interesting word in verse 3, because it's used to describe what a wild boar does in tearing another animal apart. And so this is the picture. It describes a sadistic cruelty that Saul was mauling and mangling the church like a wild beast. Now, in chapter 9, we're going to see that this guy, Saul of Tarsus, gets radically saved. He, he gets radically saved. He has this encounter with Jesus. He ends up becoming Paul the apostle. But at this point in Acts chapter 8, he is this zealous religious fanatic. 
And he is out to destroy the church of Jesus Christ and the followers of Jesus. In fact, later on in Acts chapter 22, he gives his testimony. And he says this, he describes himself as a graceless and vindictive man when he says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. If Saul of Tarsus was alive today, we would call him a terrorist. That's the type of vindictiveness and and evil that was filling this guy's heart. To the Galatians, when he was sharing his testimony with them, he said this, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Don't miss that. Saul was not content with the stoning of Stephen. He wants to see this new group, these followers of Jesus, this new church. He wants to see it destroyed in its infancy. He treats it like a cancer that has to be removed and wiped out before it could spread even further. Now, I want you to picture this. Let's let's bring this into our our modern-day context. Imagine tomorrow, you wake up in the morning, you, you turn on, you know, whatever news feed you like to, you know, read or, or watch, and you see that Congress has passed a bill where they have commissioned a modern day Saul. And the president has signed off on it, and they have given this guy the freedom and the authority to go out into homes and churches and arrest Christians and have them put to death. Imagine that. Imagine being dragged from your home or dragged out of the church. I mean, these are two places that we like to think of as, as, as being safe places, But when Saul of Tarsus was on his rampage, they weren't safe at all. Now, as we read this, I'm sure some of you are thinking in your mind, why in the world did God allow this to happen? Why did he allow this mega persecution to come upon the church? Well, we've seen already in the book of Acts, Satan was out to destroy the church. He's, he's, set, he's embarked on several different you know, attacks that we've seen already in our study in the book of Acts. And this one is the most intense of all. And Saul of Tarsus is his instrument. Do you know Satan is still desiring to destroy the church today? Do you realize that? Do you realize that he is on the attack today on many, many fronts? Our world is becoming more and more hostile to the things of God. Our world is becoming more and more resistant to the gospel and to Christians. Why does God allow that to happen? Why is he allowing it to happen now? Why why did he allow it to happen then? Well, I think the answer is found in the words of Joseph. Remember when Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, and he was put in slavery there in Egypt. And after a time of slavery in Egypt, through a set of circumstances I don't have to get the time to get into, Joseph ends up being elevated to the right-hand guy to Pharaoh himself. 
And it happens during a famine that his very own brothers who, who had sold him into slavery, they're coming to Egypt. They need food because it's the famine. They have to appear before Joseph. And when Joseph finally reveals himself to them, they're thinking he's going to take vengeance on them. But this is what he says. He says, what you guys meant for evil, God has turned for good to save many. And that's exactly what's happening here in Acts chapter 8. And I believe it's exactly what is happening today in our world that what Satan means for evil... God wants to turn for good in order that many people would be saved. And so he's allowing his church to be shooken up here because this is a part of his plan. Now think back to the message of the Great Commission. They were to go where? Where were they supposed to go? The whole world. He told them that they were going to be empowered with the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But by the time we get here to Acts chapter 8, you know where they are? Jerusalem. And it's the only place that they have been so far. So the rest of the mission has not been fulfilled. And so this is what God does. Is he, he allows for his church to be stirred up, to be shaken, so that they would be scattered. Notice verse 4. It says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. The word scattered comes from a particular Greek word, which means to disperse. It's diaspora in the Greek. And it's a word that means to sow. It's a word that was used by the farmers. And back in those days, the farmers would sow the seed with their hands. It would be dispersed. It would be thrown out. That word diaspora is a word that we use today in radio and TV. It means to broadcast. It's like our radio program on 88.9 FM at 4 o'clock, Monday through Friday, the basics of life. What are we doing? We're broadcasting diaspora, the word of God, to this community here in San Diego. And so that's the word that's being used here. It's a sowing. It's a broadcasting. And so because of the persecution, the Christians were being sown or broadcast out into the world. And notice what it says. They went everywhere preaching the gospel. Because you know what? This is God's method. God's method of reaching lost people is to use saved people. Do you realize that? God, he could have used angels. He could have sent angels all around spreading the gospel, but he doesn't do that. He'll actually do that in the tribulation time. He could have used animals. Wouldn't that be a trip? Your dog starts talking to you. Do you know that Jesus loves you and died on the cross to pay the price for your sins? <laughs> That'd be a trip, right? He doesn't use angels. He doesn't use animals. He doesn't have a voice that just speaks from, from the sky. No, the way that God has chosen to reach lost people is with saved people. And this is what he does. He's chosen us to be his instruments in bringing the message of Jesus to a lost world. And so this was the purpose. 
in their shaking was to get them scattered so that they could fulfill the mission. And when God allows our lives to be shaken, listen, here's the takeaway on this. When God allows your life to be shaken, when he allows you to be shaken out of your comfort zone, the question that you need to be asking yourself or asking the Lord is not, Lord, why is this happening? The question you need to be asking is, Lord, what are you trying to do? What are you wanting to do right now in my life and through my life and with my life that you've allowed this shaking to take place? The Lord is allowing that to happen in your life for a reason and a purpose. So you need to ask him, Lord, what are you wanting to do with me right now? How are you wanting to use me right now? What are you wanting to do right now in my life and with my life through this shaking? You see, the church was much more effective. Get this. The church was much more effective scattered than gathered. The church could not bless the world as long as it stayed in one place. God had moved radically in Jerusalem. Many had come to faith in Christ, but they could not reach the world if they stayed in Jerusalem. What about Antioch? What about Athens? What about Alexandria? What about Rome? God had a heart for all of those places. What about the Far East? What about the continent of Africa? What about places like London and Paris or New York and and Los Angeles? Or what about San Diego? Or what about Vista and Oceanside and Carlsbad and Fallbrook and San Marcos? In order for God's mission to be accomplished, his people had to be scattered. And the way that he used to get them scattered was to shake them out of their comfort zone. I love this story. It happened when um, Oliver Cromwell was the, the, British govern, or the, the leader of the British government, and they began to run low on um, coins. So Cromwell sent his men on an investigation of a local cathedral to see if they had any precious metals there. They came back and reported, the only silver that we could find is in the statues of the saints that are standing in the corner. And Cromwell said, great, we'll melt them down, we'll melt down the saints and put them into circulation. Isn't that awesome? And that's what God does sometimes. He allows us to go through difficulties. He allows our, our world to get shaken. He allows us to get stirred out of our comfort zone. He allows us to experience a melting, if you would, to get us into circulation. And here in Acts chapter 8, he's using this mega persecution to do it. You see, God so loved the world and the lost in the world that he decided to seed the world with his people so that they could share the gospel. And God's still doing that today. You know, sometimes we wonder as we look at what's going on in our world, God, when are you going to come? Jesus, when are you going to come for your church? And the Lord tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, why he delays. 
It tells us that the Lord is is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why he's waiting. He's desiring that more people would come to him. And so God will stir us up. He'll shake us out of our comfort zone. He'll put the heat on us. Let me ask you this question. Has God allowed your life to be shaken recently? Maybe it was a job loss that shook you up. Maybe it was the school your kids went to decided to move to another city too far away. That happened recently to some of you. Maybe it was a divorce with your parents that shook you up. Maybe it was a diagnosis that shook you up. Maybe it's the economy right now. It's got you shook up. Again, the question you need to ask is, Lord, not... Lord, why did this happen? But Lord, what are you wanting to do with me, in me, through me? Because God doesn't allow anything on accident. And he wants to work in our lives and and, and through our lives. So can I encourage you today, stop complaining. And bring your heart to a place of just saying, Lord, I want to be your vessel. In fact, can I be so bold? Can I be so bold this morning to say this? And I'm saying this to myself as well, because I tell you, I crave comfort as much as anybody. But would we be so bold and so daring to say to our Heavenly Father, Lord, if you want to shake me up, go ahead. Lord, if you want to disrupt my life and my comfort zone, Lord, you can if that means that, that my life might be able to be used in a greater way but by you, Lord, do what you want. Because I do believe that you are a good, good father. We believe that, right? That's a heavy prayer, isn't it? To pray that. Do you have a desire to be used by God in a greater way? I know I do. I want to give you, before we close here, three quick things to consider. If you, do, if you have a desire to be used by God, three quick things. The first one is this, be willing to go anywhere. Be willing to go anywhere. Uh, we see that here in verse 5. Notice it says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, you might think, okay, what's the big deal with that? Well, Samaria was a place that the Jewish people avoided like a plague, They didn't like the Samaritans. They looked at the Samaritans as being half-breeds. I don't have time to go into why, but they, they didn't like them. They had a prejudice against them. But here we see that this is where Philip goes. He's scattered, and he goes where? To Samaria. And by going to Samaria, it showed that Philip was willing to lay aside his natural prejudices, that he was willing to lay aside his preconceived ideas about the Samaritans, and he was open to being God's instrument in going to a group of people that he would naturally avoid. Because you see, Samaria was on God's radar. And we need to understand that. We need to be willing to go anywhere. So I ask you this question, where's your Samaria? Samaria. 
Who are the Samaritans in your life? Who are the people in your life, in your sphere, that you just have a tendency to, to kind of avoid them? Do you know that God loves them? God wants to reach them. God has a heart for them, and he just might want to use you to be the person that brings them to Jesus. And let me tell you this, the best place that any of us can ever be is in the center of God's will. That's the best place, and that's where Philip finds himself. So you want to be used by God, number one, be willing to go anywhere. Here's number two, you need to pray for a burden. It was Greg Laurie who said this, evangelism begins with a burden. He said, we, we, we can talk endlessly about the need for evangelism, and we can create programs designed to mobilize our church with resources and tools, but if it is of no consequence if the body of Christ doesn't care. We've got to start on the inside and work it out. In other words, it has to start in our hearts. It was Charles Spurgeon who said this, winner of souls must first be weepers of souls. He said the Holy Spirit will move them, the loss, by first moving you. If you can rest without their being saved, then they can rest too. So number one, be willing to go anywhere. Number two, pray for a burden. And then finally, number three, realize that everybody around you that doesn't know Jesus is struggling with these four things. This is something that Billy Graham used to teach when he was alive, that everybody around us is struggling with, with these four things. They, they're spiritually empty, they're lonely, they feel guilty, and they're afraid to die. People all around us are struggling with the sense that they're empty inside because the Bible basically teaches us that mankind has been made with a God-shaped hole in their heart, a void that they can't fill. And they try to fill it through all these different means, but there's nothing that can fill that void except for Jesus. So people go through life and they're trying to fill the void. They're like a, a little toddler trying to put the triangle in the circle hole, you know, and it doesn't work. And so nothing that they can do can fill their lives. They try to fill it with relationships. They try to fill it by, you know, being successful. And they gain those things, but, and those things might bring some temporary satisfaction, but it doesn't last. It's like Mick Jagger used to sing. I guess he still tries to sing this. But uh, he, he, he used to sing, you know, with the Rolling Stones, I can't get what? No satisfaction. And he says, I try and I try and I try. Come on, let's sing it together. No, let's not. I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no, what? Satisfaction. Satisfaction. That's the universal struggle in the heart of every single man. I was reading an interview with Tom Yorkie, the lead singer of the band Radiohead, and he was talking about his fame and fortune, and he said, you know, I thought by now I'd be somewhere else, but he says, I still have this hole in my life. I still have this void that I can't fill. Kevin Durant, the NBA star, after winning two championships with the Warriors, they asked him if he was happy. And he said, no. And he says, I thought thought that would fill. And this is his words. I thought that it would fill that void, but it didn't. People all around us, they're struggling with this emptiness that they feel inside. That's the first thing. The second thing, people you live by, we're by people who look like they have it all together, they're lonely. They're lonely inside, Billy Graham said. 
It was Einstein who said, it's strange to be known so universally and yet be so alone. People struggle with loneliness because they want to belong. It was Elvis Presley who said, I feel so alone sometimes. And the quietness when I'm all by myself, it haunts me. I read a recent survey that said 20% of Americans say that they rarely or never feel close to people. All around us, people have a million friends on Facebook and yet no close relationships. They're struggling with loneliness. They're struggling with being alone. The third thing that Billy Graham said that people universally are struggling with is that they feel guilty. And you know, people feel guilty because we are guilty. Because the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word sin, people get offended by that. Don't call me a sinner. Well, the word, in case you didn't know this, it comes out of the world of archery. When they would take the bow and arrow and they would shoot it at the the target, if it missed the bullseye, they would say, sin. That's all it meant. You missed the mark. Well, the Bible says that all of us have missed God's mark, God's standard of righteousness and holiness. That there's none righteous, no, not one. And and because of that, we feel guilty inside. We struggle with shame. And it started with the very first two human beings, Adam and Eve. We read in the very beginning that they broke God's standard. They missed the mark when they ate of the forbidden fruit. And it says right after that, they knew that they were naked. So their innocence was lost and they felt ashamed. And then because of that guilt and shame that they were feeling, they went and they tried to hide themselves. And people are still doing that today, aren't they? They're still trying to hide their guilt and their shame. They try to hide it through pursuits in their careers. They try to hide it. They try to put on a a facade to try to appear as something that they're not. Some people will try to hide that guilt and shame through abusing drugs or alcohol or, or being involved in sexual immorality. Anything that they can do to mask the guilt and shame that they're feeling inside. And people all around us, people who seem like they have it all together, they're struggling with this. And then finally, Billy Graham said that people all around us are afraid to die. But that's the universal fear in the heart of man. People wonder, what is going to happen to me? Where am I going to go when I die? But the good news is this. We were celebrating this last week at Easter. Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus said, I've come to bring hope to the hopeless. Jesus said, I've come to rescue those and free those who are struggling with their guilt and their shame. Because When they put their faith and trust in me, I'll forgive them of their sins and I'll cleanse them from their guilt and I'll remove their shame. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I'm the answer. The answer is found in living in a relationship with me. I'm the only one who can fill the void inside of your heart. I'm the only one. Jesus says, when you come to me, you'll never be lonely because this is my promise to you. I will not leave you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he invites us by putting our faith in the work that he did upon the cross. 
and paying the price for our sins and then rising again from the dead to give us life. He invites us through putting our faith in him to become a part of his family, to belong to the family of God. Now, I have to say this. You know the family of God. It's a great family. It is. But did you you know it's a dysfunctional family? It is. You know why? Because you're in it. That's why. Because I'm in it. Because we're flawed people. Because we are sinners. Because we bring all our baggage into this thing called the family of God. So the family of God, it is a dysfunctional family, but it is the best dysfunctional family around. Because like I tell you all the time, none of us here have arrived. We are all broken people who are in the process right now of being transformed by our loving Redeemer. We're all in process. But God invites us. Jesus, he offers life. He, he says, you want to know where you're going to be in heaven when you die? There's only two choices, either eternal life with him or eternal death, being separated from him. You want to know that you're going to heaven? Put your faith in me. You want to have your sins forgiven and your guilt removed? Put your faith in me. You want to belong? Trust in me. If you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to do that. But I want us to see two quick things before we're done. I want us to see the results to the church being stirred up and shaken out of their comfort zone. And the results of of Philip being willing to go anywhere. There's two things that we see here in our text. The first is that revival breaks out in Samaria. Great things are happening there. Look at verse 6. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So the first thing we see, God's moving in a radical way. People are getting saved, people are getting delivered, people are getting healed as the Holy Spirit is falling upon the, upon the city of Samaria. And the second thing we see in verse eight, it says that there was great joy in that city. Isn't that awesome? There was great joy. When God's people were allowed God to move them, when he stirs them up out of their comfort zone and he begins to move them and Philip goes down to Samaria, revival breaks out and there's joy in that city. And you know what I think? I think God wants to bring great joy to this city. But that happens when we as God's people realize that when he's stirring us and shaking us out of our comfort zones, it's a reason for a reason and a purpose is that he wants to use us to get the gospel out to a lost world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture that we see in you stirring and shaking your people so that they could be scattered. And Lord, I pray that we as your people here today would embrace the the shaking, the stirring that you are doing in, in our lives even right now. That we would realize that there's an eternal purpose in that shaking, that you want to use our lives and the lives of people that you're going to bring into our paths. So, Lord, we want to ask, Lord, not why are you doing this, but what? What do you want to do, Lord, in me and through me and with me? Lord, may we as your people be surrendered.
But God, I also pray for those right now who are in this place that maybe don't know you, who haven't put their faith in Jesus, who realize that they do have that emptiness, that void inside of their hearts that they've been trying to fill with other things, who do recognize that that loneliness they've been striving and struggling to belong, but nothing brings that satisfaction. For those here or those watching online who are battling and struggling with their guilt and shame, who are afraid and and unsure of where they would go when they die, Lord, I pray today that as you extend the invitation to them to step out of the darkness and into the light by putting their faith in Jesus, turning from their sin and turning to their Savior, 